Hey, Spookies. Just a quick update on some new ways you can stalk the show. Rick or Treat is now on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to check out the show's entire backlog of episodes, now featuring some brand new tricks and treats. The show is also now on TikTok at Rick or Treat Pod. And as always, you can check me out on Instagram at Rick or Treat Pod and visit my website, rickortreat.com. Also, by popular demand, I've started editing myself into the movie posters of the movies I'm talking about again, beginning with this week's episode. So please like and share these images on social media because I put a lot of love into them. As always, please, please, please just take a moment to rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening on. Now, without further ado, I present to you the 1971 unsung, whispered, intrusive, thought-laden, repressed, lesbian, vampire, fever dream classic, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, featuring guest host Uncle Spooky. Let's go trick-or-treating. Welcome to the show, Uncle Spooky. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Very excited to be here, I can't tell you. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so excited to have you. Uh, We've been talking about doing this forever, and you've been giving me lists of movies. (laughs) Giant, long (laughs) lists of movies. And I'm like, oh my God, which one? There's like, so like, ah, do I watch one I've seen before? Do I, what do I do? So I just went for my old favorite. I said, let's get Jessica to death on that list and jumped all over it. Thanks for saying yes. (laughs) Jessica. Jessica has, in fact, been scared to death. Uh, this is a hell of a movie. I'm really glad that you picked it. We had talked in the past, I think, about doing Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. And then we talked about The Haunting, which are also excellent. Actually, this movie today, we're talking about Let's Scare Jessica to Death, has kind of like connections to The Haunting. We'll get into it a little later. 100%. But before that, I would love to hear a little bit about Uncle Spooky. Who the hell are you? How did you get your start? Why are you so spooky? That's a tough one to ask because it's kind of been loitering around Queens and the cemetery belt for a couple of years. Uh, just, uh, you know, a guy in a dream. Just, uh, you know, kind of wondered if I could make a go of this sort of thing. I, you know, I saw, uh, I always loved horror hosts, always loved horror hosts, but it was kind of a dead art, you know, like straight acting. <laughs> you know, like nobody does it anymore. Well, back then, you know what I mean? And uh, and I was like, uh, I don't know, Vira was doing it, and and uh, that Zachariah guy, he just died recently. He was still kind of going. And and then Scavuli, not Scavuli, Scavuli, Sven Gulli. His name. Never gonna get. I'm never gonna get on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Italian names. 
<laughs> Sven Gulli. But um Sven Sven Gulli. Oh my god, he's great. I love him. And um uh and I, I saw I went to um San Francisco around Halloween, like 2003, and I saw Miss Monster. She was in her um her melons, her monstrous melons. <laughs> and it was like this beautiful green woman with red hair and these two, like, you know, melon puppets that were. <laughs> and she was up on the Castro Theater stage and they showed, what's the word? Night of the Creeps, which I'd never seen before at that time. So it was like oh, a yeah. perfect night. And, and I didn't know it, but a seed was planted that night that just kept going. And it was like, had, and it was like this Rubik's cube of trying to figure out how to do this. Where can I do it? What can I do with it? Like what? Like how do I? How do I do it? Like who? No, there's no, there's no um, audience. Not audience for it. There's no demand for it. You know what I mean? It's like not like. There's, there's, where do I go with it? How do I? How do I broach it to people? You know what I mean? And uh, I'm not super computer literate, so like Twitch and Zoom and all those things. Like I had to. I really had to learn how to how to work with those, but. Uh, it took me like 15 years to try to, I feel like to try to get it up on, to bring it to a bar and say, listen, I want to do this live. And, uh, and they were like, no. (laughs) 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 And I I just kind of, kind of, kind of weasel my way in there. And, uh, it was, um, the old Eastern block. Oh yeah. And uh, over on Avenue A, uh, little dungy, grimy, little, cruisy bar oh uh, i know it well let me say i know the bathrooms right. at eastern block well wow. <laughs> uh, the bathrooms are great they were they were the bathrooms were, and they had stools that said like you know sloppy bottom yep <laughs> like all yep. little words oh it was so scummy and i loved it nobody came <laughs> and no not too many people came I, I worked with uh i was doing it with michael t i don't know if you know him he's sort of a uh downtown denzin uh, DJ at a beauty bar and he's, uh, he's a big horror guy and he's a huge performer does like rock shows sings like he's got like a David Bowie-esque thing great act amazing uh, and I've known him since since like 1985 this is the first time I ever went out in Manhattan I kind of I feel like I spotted him and and knew he was trouble and somehow he got me into this place he was like let's do it together so we would do double features and maybe five people would come it was an empty bar and uh and I'd never really got up on stage too much. So it was like, thanks for coming. You know, it's very slow going. I'm still kind of like that stage truth. Uh, and uh, and uh, that was kind of starting to wind down. They, the, they were taking it over. Um, they, were tur- they were closing it down. They were going to turn it into, I forget what it's called now, but it's like a, uh, it's like a burlesque kind of sh- uh, place. club coming. Alan shows. coming. Yeah. Alan coming bought it. Now club it's club coming. coming. Uh, I have a great story about him. I think, I think every, I think every gay in New York has a great story about Alan coming, but tell me yours. <laughs> my, so my very first time doing uncle spooky at Eastern block and they're like, you know, you gotta be there at eight o'clock. So I was there at eight o'clock and I was like, you know, I had everything ready. I had my bingo boards and and I was, I don't know, was I, even, I must've been doing the bingo boards ready. And I and it was all set and it was like panicky and it was like, you know, butterflies in the stomach and it was like, here I am blue. You know what I mean? How's this going to go? And, uh, and I get there and it's like a nice sized crowd and like, Oh my God, what is this? What, how is this happening? But it wasn't, it turns out they had booked the space 
for uh, a he, Alan Cumming was in some TV movie about uh, I don't know a gay in the '80s, and it wasn't you know bad things were happening to him, and uh, and they had rented out that bar. This was going to be a big cruising scene in the bar, and uh, and we couldn't start the movie movie till after alan cummings shot the scene but alan cummings wasn't there he was late he was taking his time getting to the get to the uh get to the shoot so i'm sitting there and i'm like and i can't say anything because the bar's making money you know all these all these extras are buying drinks and that's kind of what the bar's about so you know i kind of just cut my mouth shut you know bide my time and he finally shows up and and everybody's like all over him and i was like and I was looking at him like, he doesn't know me from Adam or anything. But I was like, hey, can I get a selfie? And he was like, no. <laughs> and I was like, you fucking piece of shit. You can wow. tell me. You fucking, you my first. So I did this whole thing where I was just like, kind of did like this selfie with him with my phone and then just lined him up in the background. <laughs> and I, got, I got this picture of me with like an uninterested Alan coming right behind me. <laughs> <laughs> you got your fucking selfie. <laughs> I got my fucking selfie. I didn't need his arm around me or nothing. Nah, this one was earned. So, so, wait, that, so, that, so that was great. And then, then, then I kind of wrapped up. Uh, and then I got a gig at um, this little uh, coffee shop in Long Island City, and that blew up. That was like kind of my beginning. I just ran around and I'd, I'd hang posters on lamp posts, and uh, you know, people kind of trickled in. And then right before. And it was slowly growing and it was really fun. And we'd have, you know, the place would make popcorn for us. And we had, they had this like dried cricket thing going. So, you know, you know, popcorn with crickets or no crickets. And it was a little gag. Cool. And, uh, and it was great. And it was fun and it was growing. And then the biggest one was right before they shut down from uh, um, COVID. It was huge. And uh, it turned out to be a super spreader event. <laughs> oh, no. Everybody went cut you know got sick yeah oh man look at you <laughs> um and uh, and uh what happened so then and in that place they they never really recovered they 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 cut you know that covid just changed the whole marketing thing so i never really mm. went back there and then somehow i was able to jump to fire island and i got a good five-year run out there and that was an amazing job uh and now i'm at a long uh where am i now ridgewood Ridgewood, Queens, a little bar called the Flying Fox Tavern, which is, if you've never been, is really fun. It's a little horror-themed, kind of like an Irish pub food kind of place. Very cool. Not easy to get to, but very cool. And the people are great, and it's, it's a great fit. And and now I, I still do my... Uh... Oh, so once COVID started, I started... Uh, I figured out how to do the Zoom thing, and I started doing movies over Zoom, and... Uh, so now I do that once a week and I just never stopped. And that, that was really great for, for like when everything in the world was shut down. That's, that's kind of when I had the best audience there, you know, cause they had nothing else to do. <laughs> They're <laughs> captive. <laughs> Desperate. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> you know, when you talk about fire Island, that is how I came to, to uh, hear about you and know who I was on fire Island for the first time, five or six years ago, I was singing in a show and there were posters all around. You were hosting the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it was August 18th, which was that's the day that the movie takes place on. Right. 
And so the plans that I had were not lining up with being able to make it to the show, but I was obsessed. I was like, I have to meet this spooky person. So I was staying at Big Dick's halfway in on the Grove, which for those of you who don't know, is a really it's a really cool bed and breakfast. Gone. Each room has a different thing. Is it gone? Gone. No, really? Gone. I haven't been out there in a few years. Oh, I stayed it too. It was really cool. It was. Well, they had like an outdoor shower and then they had a jacuzzi in the back. And I was in the jacuzzi with a couple of other people. We were all naked. And suddenly this blue man comes in the back behind <laughs> behind Big Dick's halfway in. And we all go, oh, it's Uncle Spooky. And you had no idea who we were. And you were looking for somebody. And it was not us. And <laughs> you said hello. You told some jokes. And then you turned around and walked away. And we were like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> Got your own show anyway i was staying there that night <laughs> that's funny that's hilarious i just i remember the hotel very well uh and then how this just so happened years later through through trivia uh no no that's how i met you i feel like through horror trivia yeah so all the all the spooky gays go to horror trivia here in new york at rock bar and uh that's where we ended up just like hitting it off and turned out we had many friends in common and here we are now it worked out pretty good not so bad I'd say so. Yeah, I wish I'd known you on Fire Island. That would have been so amazing. I know. <laughs> Which room did you have at the Big Dicks? It was um, it was the. Uh, did you have the room with the sling? No, there was no sling in my room. Uh, I had the room with the sling, but you know, it was, what was I doing? I just had my luggage on it, so it was easy to kind of go through. <laughs> it's like a nice, good height to kind of ruffle through. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> and you can probably kind of prop it open and leave it open. It's great. It can second as a dresser. If I had a sling in my room right now, it would be covered in dirty laundry. <laughs> <laughs> laying it with the remote trying to get the good tv show yeah yeah so where you're at flying fox tavern now what nights do you have shows there so i'm doing what's kind of uh, so i do like uh, the last the fourth sunday of the month i figured because sometimes it's five sundays and i don't want to do the last one so i thought let me do four because there's always four sundays in a month so i'm always on the fourth sunday and then I just started this thing called Seance. Uh, I'm working with these guys. And uh, it's kind of like a burlesque, uh, like a horror burlesque thing. And uh, I show, I do my shtick in the beginning. And then I help MC it. And, uh, and you know, it's amazing acts from uh, a lot of like, um, I, I don't want to say it yet. But it's like, it's, it's, it's a lot of drag. But like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like girls doing horror drag but it's like it's i mean it's, it's all mixed up there's guys too and there's you know it's every whatever's going on now every little you know and uh they're all in it and it's very interesting and they all have they all do a number and it's kind of uh it's amazing to see what the kids are up to very very exciting i'm on borrowed time these kids are gonna replace me in no time you're training them up well where oh, where, yeah. where seance where is this show so that's that's a little bit all over the place too. A lot of it's in um, uh, again, uh, Flying Fox. They do it like a Saturday brunch thing. So it starts at like you know twelve, two hours of a movie. I think we're doing um, the next one's September second. We're doing Saw because Saw ten is coming out. Yeah, and uh, I've actually never seen Saw, so I have to. I'm just gonna have to watch it this week and make a bingo board. <laughs> so. I can. The first one's the first one. I I like the first two. The third one's okay, and then they just go 
I mean, it's just off the rails. I can't. And the story is so confounded now. It's impossible to keep up with. But this new one, it's it's it looks like it's going to be a hit. They all look like they're going to be a hit. <laughs> the one, do, do you remember Scream Queens 2? It was this, uh, that was the second season. But it was a show on VH1. And it was like, uh, what was her name? Who's the girl from uh, the remake of My oh. Bloody Valentine? And, oh, um, Jamie King. Jamie King. I would have never got that. I can't think of it. It's terrible. But she was the host. And, uh, and it was, you know, 10 girls. And one of them gets killed off each week. And uh, the girl who won, the, the winner of that was supposed to get uh, like a starring role in the next Saw movie. And that was all they talked about. And uh, so the girl won, she was really great. And it was, it was great drama through the whole thing. And then you watch the movie and she was in it for two seconds. Oh no. And I was so bummed. Really, And it was almost unrecognizable. I kind of had to like rewind. It was like, was that, was that her? And uh, I was like, Hollywood sucks. <laughs> they made drink blood and that's all she got. <laughs> the most grueling audition process for the most thankless role. Felt very bad for us. Oh man. Well, all right. Speaking of uh speaking of horror movies, have you seen anything recently? Anything you want to recommend or read a book or played a video game? I sure have. Let's see. I just um snuck in to go see uh The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Yeah, I want to let's talk about this movie because I saw it last night. No major spoilers, but let's talk about this. Okay, Okay, so I what I loved about it, I love the setting. I love the boat was great. Uh, The ocean was like, you know, it just you just felt trapped on this on this vessel and the vessel was beautiful. I mean, like just just really great. um, Just a big, you know, great. It was like a haunted house kind of, you know, it's just a great set. Like creaking, you know, big sails. Like it was great set, great time. Um, like you know, uh, uh, historically, <laughs> what do you call those things? Historical drama. You know what I mean? Like like a, like like a period. It really piece. nailed the time period. I thought, and uh, and it was brutal. It was kind of you know, it was like I mean, I know how. You know, I think every kind of knows how it ends. You're supposed to know how it ends, kind of, and. Uh, and you know it, it kind of it's stuck it it kind of you know it was i i had problems with it of course i always do for some reason i always have like a issue with it and uh but i i loved a lot of it i wish it wasn't two hours by the last half hour i was like oh come on wrap it up what do what you, you kill them move it along <laughs> <laughs> but uh i loved uh, the the, Drac- the dracula i love he had a little uh Toby Hooper, Salem's Lot vibe in him in one scene. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I love that. What'd you think? I did not love it. I, <laughs> I, this, I, this this chapter is, you know, famous in the world of literature. It's a very scary chapter. It's I, I think it's the best part yes. of the book, Dracula. It, and that's a very, I love the whole book. Don't get me wrong. And this screenplay has been kicking around for a couple of decades now, and it's changed hands so many times. And I like this director. He directed The Autopsy of Jane Doe and he directed Scary Stories to Tell in Great. the Dark, right? He's he's done some really and cool- And The Troll, right? Wasn't it like a troll movie? Um, Maybe. I'm not familiar. I don't, I can't think of it. This giant troll thing. I didn't see it, but- Well, uh, the, something about this, the, there were so many kind of gliding camera shots and panning camera shots and it, there was no stillness. And for me, that really- 
didn't allow for much tension to build. The, the, it relied so heavily on the same jump scare tactic, which is somebody walks, everything gets quiet, the person turns around, and Dracula jumps out at them. And that happened over and over and over again. None of these scares were earned. But when you say it was brutal, you're completely right. Some of those kills were very surprising, uh, particularly one character that they killed off and I could not believe what I was looking at. <laughs> Didn't think that that was really? going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, but it, there's something about the pacing. Yes, I don't mind a two-hour movie. This one, it did at at the hour and a half mark. I was like, this is not ending anytime soon, is it? You know, you know one odd thing that bothered me is, can I tell? Because it's, it's kind of, it happens in every version. And it's it's in the novel. And it's it's. I don't know if it's a spoiler, but hey, Spookies, hold on just a moment. We are actually going to spoil something. So if you don't want to hear it, skip ahead. I don't know, like 30, 45 seconds. All right, here we go. You know how the captain is sort of chained yes. in every version, including the book. He's he's roped into the to the big steering wheel. Yes. Thing. The wheel, I guess. Right. Uh, and he's roped in with the crucifix. And right before the guy lets him down. You know, like lets him off the hook, and I'm like, "What are you doing? You got to hook him back up there." <laughs> That's the whole thing. He's got to be in that position, like at right. the end of the movie. Yeah, they, so that they, really that, that bugged me. The, get that was no reason um, to let him down. I, we're not going to say the exact ending of the movie, but those last 45 seconds were just like, uh, "What are you doing? This right. is not Equal. the book. Like this is, but it's like." What are you going to do? Make up new Dracula fan fiction with this ending? It was um, <laughs> it was frustrating. It was super frustrating. But you're right. It wasn't scary enough. Like it should have been. And I, what I found out, it was like it was a lot of practical effects, they said. But it didn't look practical to me. It looked super, super uh, CGI. Like whenever they. Yes, got it's, it's close, a mix. I and I feel I, I do I feel CGI. like they had some really solid practical effects going that then they just wanted to enhance with CGI. And it's like, no matter what you do, the your CGI fire is never going to look good. Why aren't you just using real fire? Why aren't you using practical Ever. blood like this? This fake blood that you're Set putting adding fire. to it looks bad. You know, it takes me right out of the movie. So, uh, you know, the director said yeah. that he, he compared it to Alien well, on bombed. a ship. And for me, I can't because the trailer showed what Dracula looks like. It shows him flying. It shows him with wings. So I'm going into this movie already oh, knowing yeah. that this is Nosferatu mixed with a bat. And the movie Alien doesn't show the creature until the movie's almost over. And, yep. the, and that movie carries tension up until that point really successfully. I, yeah. I, you know, it had all yeah. the ingredients there. It just wasn't scary. Yeah. It, and it, it should have been. But damn it. All right. Well. Well, so and then bombed at the damn. box office. 45 million to make. It only made 7 million. And I feel bad because I snuck That's in. That's all right. They got my $19 fucking discount. money that I want back. It, it, money. I was very disappointed. <laughs> you know. Once I saw the trailer, I, I suspected it wasn't going to be what I wanted it to be. And unfortunately, last night, you know what I do recommend, though, and I'll make this quick. The Haunted Mansion movie, so much better than anybody thought it was going to be. I really had a lot of fun with it. The the If you uh, enjoy the ride, if you know the ride, you're going to have a blast looking for all of these Easter eggs. Jamie Lee Curtis is having a ball, crystal pun intended, as Madame Leota. 
And uh, Rosario Dawson's great. Even Owen Wilson, who I can't normally stand, does a good job of playing Owen Wilson dressed as a priest. I don't know. Uh, and Lakeith Le- <laughs> Stanfield, the man who's starring in this movie, he is so good. He's so funny. And the movie does an incredible job. And and he he makes like grieving and sad look really sexy somehow. And the movie does a great job of kind of dealing with grief at a level that young audiences could understand. I think this is a great example of gateway horror that we don't get a lot of these days, especially from Disney. I My taste in horror tends to come from like the end of the movie Fantasia when Chernabog is on the mountain or like the sleep, you know, Legend of Sleepy Hollow part of Echabod and Mr. Toad. Um, it kind of, that's what piqued my interest in scary imagery. And I feel like Disney shies away from that lately and they did not in this new movie. So I, I do recommend it. Huh, I, I kind of wanted to see it and uh, I'm glad for the recommendation because I'm always a big Haunted Mansion fan. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to know what you uh, think of it after you've seen it. But uh, hey, why don't we go ahead and uh, get started talking about the movie at hand? Let's go rick or treating. From 1971, at least, actually, kind of like August. Where was it? I just just had the date on it. August 27th, 1971. So almost, you know, 81, 91, 2001, almost 50 years ago, right? This movie almost, this movie's over 50 years old. Is that possible? Or is my bath all fucked up? 50 years. That's insane. Early 70s horror. It's got its own flavor. It does. And I love it. I love this era. It's kind of, uh, for me, this movie actually has, the say um the feeling of dread that this movie builds so successfully actually does remind me of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now you never see anything it's it's not anything like that movie and yet that early 70s kind of post Vietnam post hippie era and time in horror is really fascinating to me. It's also there are a lot of movies about kind of the repression of women and their sexuality and we're going to get into the the lesbian longing lesbian undertones of this film for sure. I don't know. <laughs> we, we are talking. Let's scare Jessica to death. The film, as you mentioned, was released in 1971 and had an all-star cast of people that no one's ever heard about. Zora Lampert plays Jessica. Now she was a stage actor primarily and did a lot of TV work. This was, uh, to my knowledge, her only leading role. She did win, I think it was an Emmy for Kojak after this. Yes. And uh, I knew her as the Goya Bean Lady from, uh, if you really want to, like after you watch this movie, do a little uh, YouTube search on uh, Goya Bean Lady and you'll see pictures like the, the, the car, sorry, the commercials of her are like these fast edit and she just looks fucking nuts wait she's like <laughs> and then she's talking about she's like kidney beans goya beans <laughs> she just you have to watch it it's the funniest thing you've ever seen like the goya brand of food that's hilarious I, she's like the spokesperson for goya bean hey all you goya bean people out there that's, that's us those great goya beans you love that's them i hate to tell you this they're good for you good for us they're high potassium like, like bananas. bananas they're high fiber like, like brand. brand they're high protein oh, oh like, like meat high protein but no cholesterol none good, good for goya <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know that and and there's like there's like there's like 15 commercials with her 
Oh my God. And if you want if the, the most entertaining thing that it's like the, the edits are so quick that it's she, the commercials used to freak me out. Now, if everybody had a can of Goya beans in the house, they could all start that healthy eating right now. So, and I remember seeing the commercials <laughs> way before I saw this movie. So I, I like, cannot oh God, wait like to lady. watch those commercials. That's all I know of. Goya. Oh, boy. Barton Heyman plays her husband, Duncan. Uh, Kevin O'Connor plays their friend, Woody. And Gretchen Corbett uh, plays, she's credited as girl, but she is, I mean, the mute girl. Oh, Woody. Uh, we have uh, Mary Claire Costello as Emily. Emily. And then finally, Alan Manson as Sam Dorker, the antiques dealer. When uh, when was the first time you saw this movie? So I believe I saw it late night TV. I saw it like a bunch of times because it would yeah. it was always like a late night stable, like a like a like a spooky movie night. I mean, a spooky movie like like you know usually after midnight, you know, I would stay up and I would try to watch it, and I could never get through it because it was always on so late, and you'd start it and it's so dreamy that it would always I would always put me to sleep. So I never knew how it ended for like years. And I'd always try to watch it. And and it's 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 got a great beginning and a great middle. And it's and it's it's great. It's a great movie, but it's it's kind of slow and it gets in your head and it's dreamy. And so and it was just I could never stay awake through it. So I want to say like early 80s. I had a book here. Uh, I was trying to fit Night Frights from Channel Nine. And uh, it's oh, it has, cool. like, all the uh, all the movies that that this played in new york and it's not on here it never played channel nine uh, so i was a little bummed about that i'm gonna try to look that up and i was googling all over like when was the new york premiere and uh, i mean for tv and i could never find that information out for you but that's how i watched it like for some reason did you remember we sure, were around yeah. when mary tyler moore was on it like they, they yeah. would throw show three episodes at like two o'clock in the morning it was like two, three episodes. So, you know, it was, it was around that time that I watched it. And, um, and the beginning is so creepy and so like atmospheric in it. Yeah, it is. This It's such a great movie. It really hooks you from the beginning. I think this was uh, one that my mom really enjoyed. I've said this before on the podcast, my childhood, when it comes to horror was very back and forth. Sometimes we were overly religious and then sometimes we were able to watch horror movies. And this was one that she remembered from, you know, when she was, uh, I guess she was, she was probably late teens, early twenties when this came out, and um, she really loved it, and so she shared it with me. And I hadn't seen it since I was a child. And then during, I think it was during lockdown, it was on Shutter, and I was very excited to watch it because I had one image specifically burned into my brain. It's when Woody is discovered on the tractor, and I just, it was that was in my brain since I was a child, and so I watched it as a as an adult, and I was blown away at how this movie is able to just like you say it's like a dream that lulls you in and you don't know what's happening and i love that by the end of the movie you still don't know what happened i really think that that's an important aspect that oh my god you know this movie's not for everybody it is what the, you know it's a slow burn i think it's the kind of movie where you have to put your phone in the other room you have to sit down and you really just have to watch this movie and if you're the right kind of person i think it's going to successfully take you somewhere the music is hypnotic performances are incredible zora as jessica is so good you really believe her so good oh my god and and you just want to hug you just want to help her like you and and it really starts off I just that the first the opening with the yeah with the hearse going down with the 
the the love, the hearse with the little 60s love me. I don't know. It said love something on it. Some 60s saying. And uh, it pulls over on the side of a cemetery and she jumps out and she looks fun. She jumps out the back and she's like, yeah, well, just give me a second. And she skips off into the the cemetery and she's doing grave rubbings and something I always wanted to do, but it turns out it's totally illegal now. Yeah, you have to have a permit to do it. I did it once when I was very, very little. And um, and that was it. And yeah, now it's uh, you, you're, you really can't do it. <laughs> uh, the movie was made. You gotta be really slick. And... <laughs> yeah, the movie was made on a budget of one hundred and twenty five thousand. So this was super, super low budget, even for back then. Filmed in like around Old Saybrook, Connecticut. The house mm-hmm. actually still stands. It's abandoned and like dilapidated. It's a stunning exterior, this home. Amazing. Interiors were shot somewhere else, but like it's the kind of house that if I had money, man, I would buy it and fix it up. And I mean, it would cost a bajillion dollars. I'm sure it's falling apart, but it's just stunning. Oh, yeah. No, you couldn't. It's, it's like a ruin. This guy. So I, I showed I showed Let's Get Jessica to Death on one of my spookaramas. And this guy who's uh, my my uh, my viewers are international, Australia, UK and Connecticut. And one of them uh, was from uh, no knew the house, had seen the house, and it's uh, it's like from across an expressway at a gas station, you can see the house like wow. through the trees, but that's as close as you can get to it because it's it's all like cordon cordoned off and it's private property and can't like you know do not enter stuff and they don't watch anywhere near it, which I makes, watched... me even, makes me want to go even harder. There are a series of YouTube videos of people sneaking in. Um, as I was researching, I, there were like a surprising amount of videos. Of pe- this movie has a following. It's not well known. And the people who do know it no. are big fans. Rod Serling, who created The Twilight Zone, calls it. I mean, he loved this movie, talked about it as though it was one of his favorites. It's also listed as one of Stephen King's favorite horror movies. Yes, he mentioned it now. In that book, Dance Macabre. That he wrote. I haven't read that in forever. Yeah, that's he talks about it. It's like his oh my god, it holds up. The screenplay started out as like a slapstick comedy feature. It was about hippies being eaten by like a lake monster. And then when the director uh took over yes, what was this, the name of it? It had a great name. Um it it drinks hippies' blood. It drinks hippies' blood. Yeah. Uh, director John D. Comedy. Hancock took over under the stipulation that he would be able to do whatever he wanted to with the script. And so he had just been nominated for an Oscar for a short film that he had made. And he took the script and he... Which re- I watched today. How was it? I am loving how it was prepared great. you came. It was, uh, I only got about halfway through it. It's called Sticky My Fingers, Fleet My Feet. And I have to say, it's it's... It's all New York locales. It's like takes place in like uh, Central Park, and it's like an older guy, uh, not an older guy, but way younger than me. You know, like probably a guy in his thirties uh, uh, who plays touch football in a park, and everybody wants him to grow up, and uh, and that's kind of and but the the way it's filmed, it seems like a nice story, but it seems it's filmed kind of creepy. Like like the opening, ooh, sorry, the opening shot. Is like just like this hand coming at you on the camera and it freezes. And I'm like, that's terrifying. <laughs> like, so, so we had some early skills. Sorry, he didn't win. I don't know what year that was. Do you know any year? Any idea what I, year he was nominated? No idea. No, I don't know. Had to be the 60s. It felt very 60s. And you recognize a few faces in it too, if you see it. But anyway, that was well worth the nomination. Good. 
Good. Well, he this movie would actually get him the job of directing Jaws 2, which he got fired from because he wanted it to be an intense psychological thriller. And the filmmakers, like the producers, wanted it to be more horror driven and, uh, you know, more in the vein of what was being made at the time. And we got what we got well, from that. <laughs> also, they, they, because Lorraine Gray. Like they wanted her to have it. She was like, uh, I want to be on the boat when they go looking for the the. <laughs> the you know the kids at the end he was like no you're not getting what are you doing on the boat you're not going to be on the boat he like he was trying to write her character down and but she was like going out or married to like one of the producers of it and uh so they just and then he fired one well there was a whole different young cast when he was doing it and uh fired one of the girls who also turned out to be a girlfriend of one of the producers so they were like get rid of this guy oh, no. he's not doing the monster movie we want he was doing like a slit and only one shot remains in the movie do you know which one no tell me such creepy oh my god and it, it's almost like lifted from let's get jessica to death it's when uh it's after the big uh hotel opening and uh you know i think <laughs> they do kind of a pullback from it and you know they're, they're showing the party and then, then it kind of pulls back and they're showing like the the i don't know the bay or the lake or the water whatever it is to so the the boats are kind of docked in and you just kind of see this mysterious thing kind of under the water like you can't really even tell what it is for a while and then like the fin cuts the cuts the water and kind of heads toward town and that's you know it's like it's like his first shot bruce's first uh brucette's first <laughs> shot in the movie that you still wow. see her yeah, definitely lifted from Let's Scare Jessica to Death. <laughs> the uh, the lake scene specifically from this movie is what I, I understand is what got him noticed for Jaws 2. Um, but uh, did we even say his name yet? John, Just... D. Han John Hancock. John D. Hancock is the guy who directed this movie. I don't think we said it yet. <laughs> he When he reworked this script... He did. You it, opened it. <laughs> <laughs> it became a... Uh, you know, a, a much more. The film is very psychological thriller drama with almost like horror undertones, right? It's like we are almost watching a horror movie. I, it is a horror movie, but it's it's very under the surface of what we're yeah, looking it, at. It feels like a crazy lady movie for a while. Yes, <laughs> like it's 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 big on. They talk about gaslighting. Like this is like a big. I mean, are we are we doing spoilers on, on this? Oh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go through the plot in a minute. So do you okay. wanna do you wanna? No, no. Uh, I was going to say, but it, they, they talk about it being a big like gaslighting movie and you can kind of see that because I guess it's Emily trying to gaslight her a little bit, trying well, to push her over the edge. The brilliance of this movie but, is... I mean, it, she doesn't need much pushing. No, she's already standing yeah. at that edge. You don't know if this is so, in her head or if this is really happening. Uh, and after we go through this plot, I'd love to know what you think about it, if you think it's really happening, if it's all in her head. Uh, uh, anything else you want to talk about? The cinematography, which is pretty amazing. For sure. Guy was Robert M. Baldwin. I th and I think cinematography-ish, it's pretty freaking beautiful. Because I mean, like the setups, the tr like the house, the lake, all the graveyard, like it's, it's really got, it's got this hazy kind of feel to it. This hazy, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a, a daytime horror. You know, it's not a lot happening at night. Very much so. And the, there are day for night shots in this that really, really work. Like the day for night adds to the dreamlike feel and the is this real, is this not feel, you know? It is. Oh. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you know this, the soundtrack 
was one of the first ones to ever use like um, synth music. I read that. So it's if really listen to it. It's got like like a s- slow piano, and then every now and then it's got this like sort of synthy thing going on. The, the, the music's really unsettling. I find. It is. It's really an incredible soundtrack. It adds so much to it and it do, it feels so disjointed and these percussive like synth sounds coming in with this beautiful piano uh, melody is is uh it's off-putting, you know, but in like the best way. Yes. <laughs> so, let's get into it. We're going to talk about this movie. Let's talk about this movie. We're gonna talk about the plot. We open on a golden lake and Jessica is sitting alone in a rowboat and we hear the voiceover. I sit here and I can't believe that it happened. And yet I have to believe it. Dreams or nightmares, madness or sanity. I don't know which is which. What a fucking opening to a movie. Oh my God. And she's like, just like a sad ruined thing in a rowboat just yeah like just like her heads in her hands and she's just looking off like she's she's kind of she's been destroyed so from there we cut to we cut to people are loading into a hearse what looks like a coffin into the back of this hearse and then from there the hearse drives down a highway beautiful autumnal leaves all over the place i mean connecticut's gorgeous you know i've lived i lived there for a little bit Uh And we get our title card, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, with quotation marks, which I love. (laughs) Uh, The people, this hearse pulls up to a cemetery, and the back door opens, and Jessica, who's bubbly and excited, hops out. And she's got some wax paper rolled up, and she climbs out, and she yells, I'll just be a minute, to the other people in the hearse, and she runs into the cemetery. And we see on the door of this hearse, like you said, the word love is painted kind of small in red letters, very like 60s, that 60s almost cursive font, you know. Uh, and uh, we we meet Duncan and Woody. Now, Duncan is the husband and Woody is a friend of theirs. Duncan mentions, don't worry, the farm will be great for her. Woody's hot. Woody is so hot. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you thought so, too. <laughs> so hot. So hot in like a in like um in like a, a like kind of a, a dumb way, you know. He's just he's kind of got himbo written all over him. Yeah, yeah. He's got like a big bottom lip. <laughs> he's got yep. like a full head of hair, like big eyebrows. Like I don't know how Emily doesn't. Do... All right, we'll get to that. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, we we'll hear that. we hear a voiceover, and this movie is interspersed with voiceovers throughout, and it's it's so effective, actually. John Hancock was inspired by The Haunting, 1964, a lot for this movie, which is where we get the voiceovers because Emily, I'm sorry, Eleanor Vance in that movie is talking to herself in her head throughout. And we also get kind of the pounding on the walls in one scene. And little Julie Harris. Julie Harris is fabulous in that movie. And then the angels on the grave rubbings from the walls staring at her is very reminiscent as well of that particular wall scene in The Haunting. Oh, you're totally right. You're totally right. So it it's there for sure. Oh, that scene is so great. Another movie that, you know, does not have special effects and is effectively terrifying. So Jessica uh, is um, walking through this beautiful cemetery. And in her head, she says, for the first time in months, I'm free. Forget the doctors. Forget that place. I'm OK now. And we'll start over. And then she does a grave rubbing on this really cool looking old grave. Creepy whispering. <laughs> she creepy whispering. For those who don't know, a 
a grave rubbing is when you take like a special wax paper and you press it up against a grave and you just rub, 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 rub. And the imprint goes into the wax paper. And then you've got this like kind of replica of it. It was it was a big deal back in the day. And now, like you said, it's illegal to do. I knew this artist. I think his name was Armin, who uh, used to do it. And uh, he had one of he would like, you know, do the grave rubbing and then put it on mounted on a you know, canvas and paint all around it and put sparkles. And he did one of Edith's head. <laughs> That's cool. Amazing. And uh, yeah, it was like, I should have jumped on that when I had the chance. Seriously. <laughs> jumped on him or jumped on the art? Yeah. Both would have been, you know, like it was a little, it was a little tight. He's like a uh, artist. Let's just go with the artist. Artist. Amazing artist. I love it. Keep talking. I love it. You keep talking. Jessica sees a woman in a short, she a white kind of flowy, but short dress standing on a hill. And she starts to, she starts to call out to the others and then doesn't. And then the woman and disappears. Like, and the little voice says, don't say anything. Keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Don't tell She's, she starts to hear these inaudible whispers. And then, yes, she, she tells herself, don't tell them, just act normal. Act normal, which is, I love that. That like sets up the whole movie right there. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're getting this sense that she is struggling with mental health. Right. And I what I really think this movie does well is does not um, does not make her like a bad guy in this movie. It, she really is struggling. And we see that. She's and it's uh, hanging on, hanging on just barely. Uh, she she shows her her grave rubbing in the car and her husband says, what does it say? And she she reads it. Frail as the leaves that shiver on a spray like them, we flourish like them decay. And um, gorgeous. He says, see, you're less frightened already. What are you going to put on your tomb? Oh, right. Got any ideas what you're going to put on your tomb if you had one? Exactly that. <laughs> I mean, that really makes you think. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful sentiment. It really is. Uh, they get on a ferry that's going to cross the river. And this old vet is like army vet is running it. Uh, asks, what do you got in that case? Referring to what looks like a coffin in the back, right? That they were loading earlier. Duncan says, it's my mother-in-law. The old vet says, wish it were mine. And then Duncan says that they're headed to the old Bishop farmhouse and, you know, they're moving. And the old vet instantly is like unfriendly, right? That smile kind of, yeah, quickly. Sucks right up his face. And the little fairy is very Jaws. It's like almost you almost use the same kind of thing in the movie Jaws. A uh, little fairy with a car on it. Yeah, 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 across. yeah. It's uh, they are driving <laughs> oh, through, yeah, yeah. driving you know through. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I just watched that movie. I just did all the red carpet stuff for the Shark Is Broken on Broadway. Um, I ran into Tom Kerdehy on, ah. on the oh, red carpet. We talk about that after. Ah. We got to talk about that. We will. We will. Do you want to talk about it now or later? Um, let's talk okay. about it after. Let's talk about it after. Let's get through this movie. Yeah, so they're, they're going through town now. Going through town, and they they pull up going to the general. Town. Very quick drive. <laughs> they pull up to the general store, and there are these like old, grumpy-looking men judging their hearse. And one of them says, "Like, look what look what they're driving." A bunch of hippies. Oh. One of them calls them creeps, and these men have bandages oh, kind of on their on their bodies, right? Like one of them has them on his inner arms, like where is uh, the opposite oh. of your elbow or their necks or their faces. And uh -huh. uh, as they, as they drive past, <laughs> Duncan calls out and tells them it's cheaper than a station wagon. So 
we get the impression that they have a little bit of money or they're saving money. Right. But I think they're also driving this hearse because there is something a little weird about them in general. They, I mean, these are, they're like, this is a few years after the hippie movement, after the summer of love. And I feel like this movie reflects what happened next to that generation. Right. Right, right, right. This is like the death of the hippie movement. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah. This is like the next step after. You know, like, and like, what do they want to do? Like, hey, let's grow some apples. You right. know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, which is what they do. Farm. They they drive up on this gorgeous two-story farmhouse. There's a, a tower in the back, and it's doused in fog, and it is attached to an apple orchard. Um, and Jessica instantly loves this place. She says, oh, God, it's fantastic. And she runs inside while the men, or she runs for the door while the men are unpacking, you know, un- unloading the, the hearse. And as she climbs up a set of stairs to lead to the house, she sees someone on the porch behind a post sitting in a rock. A hint. Chair. A hint of someone. A hint of she's someone. Like, a hint of someone. This movie is very carefully shot. Like you mentioned the cinematography and it, it really is um, <sighs> memorably staged shots, you know? Yes. She looks away, and then the, the the person on this rocking chair is gone. But the chair is still rocking. She questions if it's real. It is. She questions if it's real, and then in her head she says, "Don't tell them. They won't believe you." Twice. This is the second time she's like, "Shut the fuck up." Yeah. Tell anybody. Yeah. You know, shut. Then they get to the door, and the door's a little open, right? Like they're gonna like open it, and it's it's open. Creaks open, and they do a great like a like from the top of the stairs kind of shot looking down like and you get you get a real feel for this creepy creepy house (laughs) it's super creepy i love it now your turn (laughs) from the from that shot at the top of the stairs we see a pair of legs that kind of run off camera and jessica sees it first and then the others see it and you know she's kind of like oh my god I'm so glad everybody else saw it. <laughs> no, the, the husband actually says, no, no, I saw that too. Don't worry, Jess, I saw that. He assures her. Yeah, he assures her. Like like, like saying, like letting him know. Which we kind of learn is kind of become his job. Yes. To keep telling her when she's not crazy, you know? Which is, to me, like, this movie is also like, like it's such like a, a sad story of a marriage that's just, it's just done. It's He's done all he could. You know, they've they've both like kind of like it's just like a marriage coming to an end, yeah. and it's so sad. Like you get so sad. You feel, I feel his sadness from her. I see her sadness, and I mean, then he does something horrible. But but I, I can see him like trying. I mean, he sells. You know, gives up everything to move to this you know fruit farm to try to you know help her, and it's go ahead on <laughs> jumping ahead. No, it's it's uh, so so they go upstairs and, they're all, she, and well, she seems excited that there's somebody upstairs. Right. She's like excited by this. She her um, as an actress, her in um, instincts are oftentimes opposite what you might expect. This movie is opposite what you might expect. If this movie were made now, I think that they would over explain everything. Uh, it would have the everything. scene where Jessica goes to the local library and looks up the history of the house. Mm. And it's like that shit never happens and, here. And the finger goes. Goes like every line, like with the name and dates, and just kills the yes. kills the mystery. Yes, exactly. So they get upstairs. I, there's, I love the shot down the hallway where she's walking toward the camera and she's in darkness. Yes. And then she steps uh-huh. forward and she's oh. in light, and then in darkness, and then in light. Uh, it's really good. And it's such, 
a great jump scare coming. When she goes around the spooky corner. That I, I've, Every time I see it, I still kind of scream a little bit. Yeah, she goes around that spooky corner to a staircase that leads up to what is presumably that that tower, which is the attic, and it takes its time. And then, yes, it is a very effective, well-earned jump scare where this redheaded woman emerges and frightens Jessica and tries to run away. But Duncan grabs her. And this woman is I'm sorry. I think it's Woody who grabs her. This woman is gorgeous. She's got this great red hair and she's got these very intense blue Mm. eyes. So we learn that she is, she's just kind of like, she's a hippie. She doesn't have a home. She thought this house was abandoned. And so she had moved in. And then when she saw the hearse coming up the drive, she ran and hide. And Jessica remarks, you must've scared us as much as uh, we must. Sorry. We must've scared you as much as you scared us. And uh, the woman says, well, I'll go get my things. The men go to unpack. We find that her name is Emily and Jessica follows her. And uh, we learn that Emily doesn't have a place to go. Jess invites her to stay and have dinner and spend the night. She insists. And then the night, the night, (laughs) the night, (laughs) one singular. And then uh, they'll drive her to town in the morning. The men are carrying this massive case that looks like a coffin into the house and they set it down. And then we cut to the kitchen table where everybody's having dinner. And we learn a little bit more about Emily. You know, don't you live somewhere? Well, sure, but I haven't been there in a long time. I'm not sure I really want to go back yet. She says she went to school, but she dropped out and doesn't really think that she wants to go back. Like, why would I go back to school? And then she starts strumming on her guitar and starts singing this really pretty song. There, if you, I found this on YouTube also. A lot of people cover this song from this movie. It's called Stay Forever, My Love. Really? Yeah, it's, there are some really pretty versions of it. <sighs> While she's singing and playing guitar, Duncan goes and gets his giant stand-up bass from the coffin case. So that's what it's gorgeous. And he brings it to the kitchen and starts playing with her. And as he adds his, it becomes ominous sounding when the bass at like jumps in. Uh Uh-huh. I don't really remember this scene so much. (laughs) Got it. I'll keep going. I just know they they kind of play. And is this when she starts... Is this when she starts like kind of like, oh, they like each other. Uh-uh, That's exactly her. it in her head. Like she Jessica sort of notices thinks, the flirtation going on. Yeah, she thinks he likes her. And she's got this smile on her face. She's very good at smiling through things. Yes, the smile. Yeah. She begins to clear the plates. She gets uncomfortable. And she, yeah, she gets to, uh, starts clearing the plates. And it's, it's raw meat on these plates. And it's kind of, there's blood under this raw meat. Blood on the pooling yeah and she said in her head we hear it's blood jessica it's blood blood Blood. and we learned that duncan was in the philharmonic in new york uh, and he's now moved here to be a farmer he's going to raise apples and have a garden and Woody says he's a nut and jessica says i'm the nut we're having coffee in the living room (laughs) invites everybody in and it's (laughs) They'll have a nice little giggle. It's a little uncomfortable everyone kind of uh no one talks about jessica's health or state of being you know but she feel like she makes that little crack and everyone's like (laughs) (laughs) but it's hovering over everything yes at all times Uh, we get to the living room and they're having coffee they're sitting in a circle on the floor they find we found out emily's never been to new york she's been here for ages 
Jess asks, have you ever been lonely? Like, do you get lonely? Mm. And I really, I actually wrote this line down because I think it's really lovely. Uh, Emily says, oh, sure. But sometimes it's not lonely. Sometimes I hear things. And she looks directly at Jessica when she says that. Like when I'm alone, it's very quiet. Like now you can let your imagination go and listen to the stillness and it gets dark and the shadows come to life. Have you ever had anything like that happen to you? And she's looking at Jess when she says this. And Jess reveals that she was once running late to one of her husband's concerts. She must have been exhausted. She overslept and her father had just passed away. And when she woke up, she could see her father and he was calling for her. It's the only hint that we get about what might have set her off into her mental breakdown, I think, is the perhaps the death of her father. Which I like that. That's like another mystery. Like we don't need to know why she went nuts. So like nope. the whole back story, which would have been a whole prologue thing if they made it today. It would have been like a whole setup thing of why yes. she went nuts. And instead they just kind of like, you know, she's out. If they talk about it, she's out. Go. Yeah, completely. <laughs> Emily suggests, let's have a seance. And Duncan shakes his head and she ah. says, don't, don't you believe in spirits? And uh, he shakes his head again and she says, well, nothing's ever completely dead, which I think is a really <sighs> cool line. That was one of the only, so that when, when John Hancock was making this movie, that was one of the only stipulations. They were like, we need a couple, they wanted a horror movie and they're like, we wanted a seance and somebody in, in white clothes floating around, like, like a woman in white. That was all they wanted. And they got it. And, and they got the it. seance moment. And then Jessica makes the big mistake. <laughs> Anybody who ever died in this house. I mean, like you're asking for trouble, Jess. Truly, you're inviting anybody in. Uh, yeah, she says, if you're present, give us a sign, come to us. And so Emily starts it and then she she tells Jessica to do it. And Jessica does. And she had this as a performance, just this um, earnestness so on her face. She wants it. <laughs> I think she wants something to happen. She wants to believe in something and tears almost forming it. This woman was a stage actor primarily. And I think that that's perhaps part of why we get such a strong, but like subtle performance from her, you know? Which is hard for stage actors to give a subtle performance on film. Yeah. So she begins to hear whispering and she begins to hear, I'm here, Jessica. Jessica, I'm here. Come to us. It's like, is it different voices? And it they kind of show like different parts of that, like diff like very the haunting where they're showing like like all the molding in the house and kind of like different paintings and stuff and and a little tour of like the old wallpaper. Yep, we and <laughs> we just... we hear we we even at a point hear a man say a toast to my bride Abigail and to the bishops yeah. Abigail my bride and then we hear a woman moaning, and then we settle in on the clock chiming, yeah. and Jess with tears in her eyes she says. Oh, it's so sad. And Woody says, yeah, it's sad. We gave a seance and nobody came. And so <laughs> in this moment, we get this hint that she heard all of this and nobody else did. Right. Uh, but did she really hear it what? or is it in her head? And that's what this movie is going to be the entire time is, is this happening? Can she see this? Is it in her head? An unreliable narrator. Which I love. That's how I feel about <laughs> me running my own life. <laughs> 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 so jessica and her husband duncan go to bed they kiss on their way up the stairs uh, the seance really got under her skin uh, but when they kiss duncan pulls back the slightest bit at the end of it it's really subtle it's uh. it's 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 there 
and uh, they get up to their room. Just enough if you're in a relationship to know. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? When you know when you know when it happens, whether you tell yourself or not, whether you admit it or not. Jessica regales uh, the the grave robbing from that day. She reads what was on it, and it said, sacred to the memory of Venture Smith, an African. Though the son of a king, he was kidnapped and sold as a slave. But by his industry, he acquired money to purchase his freedom. And then she says to Duncan, that's our motto. That's like us. And then sitting here thinking, that's nothing like you, you fucking privileged bitch. <laughs> it's all about the horrors of starting over. Yeah, I mean, I I can see where she's uh, turning this awful thing that happened to this poor man into you. But come on. I mean, it was a different 50 years ago. It was a different time. The fact that she took the black guys uh, rubbing was probably a big step back then. You know, I mean, that today it would like, you know, you see it in a different lens. But back then it was like, you know, you're rooting for her. Yeah, for sure. She hangs the rubbings on the walls. She, you know, she's looking at Duncan saying, aren't they beautiful? And anyway, who's left to remember them? And Duncan is, um, I think he's weirded out. Like he gets it. And I think he gets her, but he's like, you are surrounding this room with death already, you know? And she comments on the the angels faces that were on these graves that are now rubbed into the rubbing. And she describes them as merciless. And they are, and they're all surrounding them. It's like so well done the way they just hang there. Yeah. Almost like, watching them i mean there are moments yes. in the film where the wind like kind of blows through and they just uh, move and just just a little bit yeah. just a little bit uh so good kind of flap in the breeze it's real real good so woody and emily are left downstairs and there's a little bit of a flirt going on uh, and they can hear jessica the, and the hippies and it's the six to just after the 60s of the free nation and you would think it's an easy go for both of them they're both attractive they're both super doable. They like they look good together. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it just makes sense because they're both single, and they're like you know there's there's nothing else to do. No TV in this house. No, <laughs> definitely no Keep TV. Uh, so he goes in for a kiss, but Emily pulls away and tells him it's been a long time and I don't know you yet. And then she says, "Take me for a walk." So they're walking by the lake. It's nighttime. I think this is one of the day for night shots that works really well. And uh, Emily comments, your friend Jessica seems unhappy. And Woody says, no, she was away for six months and she just got back a couple weeks ago and she's better now. We learned that Jessica and Duncan moved to the country for peace and for a change and they're going to farm. And Woody will stick around for a while. He's going to help them get settled and then he'll probably move on. And he says, we're all kind of wandering spirits. Mm. And she says, I guess so. And they kiss. Do they? They do, yeah, at the lake. And then she tells him, don't be in such a hurry. Don't worry, I won't go away. We cut to the next day, and they're bathing in the lake. They have, like, soap and everything. They're literally taking a bath in this murky water. I will not swim in a lake. I cannot do it. I cannot get in water that I can't see anything in. Bottoms of lakes are so disgusting. When your feet touch the bottom, it's just, like, the slimy... Yes. So, like, you don't want your feet to touch the bottom. (laughs) I will swim in the ocean and have a great time. I, I get I get too brave in the ocean, actually. Like, I go out a little too far. But lakes, I won't do it. I can't do it. Still water freaks me the fuck out. I don't know what's in there. <laughs> Bacteria now. Yeah. Cheating. So they are yeah. bathing. Woody is scrubbing Jessica, and it is not uncomfortable. Right. It's, I mean, they're hippies, free love, but it's not like it's not too intimate. But not but when then, the husband starts doing Emily. It gets to be too much. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
it's a little too a little too much intention on her shoulders you know yes yes and jessica sees this and smiles through it and turns around and she she says just trying to be like she said okay i'm finished and, and walks away <laughs> you know uh and gets out and uh <laughs> hanging out on the dock having a nice time well, just emily just called jumps up and go make lunch or something yeah emily is gonna go make uh she's gonna go make dinner and she's gonna pack and jessica goes for a swim by herself out in the lake the others are like you said hanging out on the dock she's like who wants to go swimming and they're like no they're like we'll watch and that they just both lay back and nobody gives her any mind again enthusiastically i can't even say that enthusiastically enthusiastic help me with this word enthusiastic why can't i say this word enthusiastically Oh, perfect. Nicely done. As she jumped out of the limo, as she jumped out of the hearse, she jumps into the water. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that's great. No, that's great. That's that's a great observation. Like the things that she's really excited about doing, they don't want to do it with her. That I hadn't even thought of that. So she's <laughs> and they never pan out. No, they no, they don't. Because as she's swimming, she starts hearing the whispers uh a woman saying, Jessica, come to me. Come to me. And under the water, we see red hair oh, on so up on like a corpse with a white dress and only under the water. And she freaks the fuck out. And, starts- and it's just super it's and, and what and what it actually is is so like like this like prop thing that they they figured out in the pool the night before, like had a like just like this like mannequin thing, and it just it's so good. So it creepy, so good incredible. under the water, so you can't really see it, and it's, it looks incredible. Yeah, it's incredible, and you're right. They were at the pool at the hotel the night before, <laughs> and they were just playing around in the swimming pool, and then figured out how they were going to do it the next day, and it fucking worked. For those who know this movie, this and the lake scene later are really iconic moments. It's kind of burned in the I, brain of everybody. I think so. Who knows and loves this movie? I know this girl that I'm always trying to that she's seen this movie. Okay. She talks about this scene. She saw it once when she was a kid. Uh, this this girl, this girlfriend of mine I got, I was always trying to get her to rewatch it. She won't rewatch it because the movie freaked her out. It's one of like the top three movies that ever ruined her. And it's this scene that did it. That, that she was like, there was just there was something in the water. And ah! <laughs> she's not a swimmer. It's that thing about not being able to see what's in the water, you know? It's 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 why I won't get in a lake. Yeah. Uh, so th- the men come in and they pull her out, and Jessica is freaking the fuck out. And she says something's in the water. It touched me, and she describes it as something like a shark. And Woody jumps right into the water to show her that there's nothing there, kind of like how a parent would do that, like to a ch- how you would talk to a yeah. child. Like you might open the closet door and turn on the light and be like, "See, see, makes big- there's nothing there." Big splashing. Yeah, now we see the girl in the white dress that we saw in the cemetery before, and she's watching from the woods. And then we cut to dinner at the kitchen table, and they're eating. She what, exists. She exists. We, they're eating what looks like raw ground beef. So every time that we see them eating, it's raw meat. Ugh. Is this in her head? Like, is that, you know what I mean? No, no, you don't know what I mean, because no one knows the answer to that question. <laughs> Or she a shitty cook. <laughs> and in Jessica's head, she looks at Duncan and in her head, she says, now he thinks I'm getting sick again, but I'm not. And Emily looks at her and without uh, moving her lips, we hear Emily whisper, liar. 
So they decide to look for things around the house to sell for money, uh, to put food on the table. And so we're getting more of an ins- like an idea that they are broke. And they're going to sell whatever they can. Exactly. <laughs> so they're coming through the house. And it's full of antiques. It's full of antiques. Jessica goes up that spooky staircase to the attic and uh, she walks in and it's a really interesting shot. I don't know if you noticed that there's a bird cage hanging from the ceiling. And when she gets to the top of the stairs, she steps behind the bird cage and it's mm. just for like two seconds. And it looks like she is in this bird cage. Caged. And then she walks out. It's subtle, right? <laughs> and, and that, that attic's filled with shit. Cool shit. Really cool shit. Now, while she's doing this, Duncan finds this uh, giant tractor in a shed with a giant pesticide sprayer attached to it. And that'll come and play later. Jess opens a chest that she finds and laying on top of a white old timey wedding dress is like a knife. And like (sighs) it, it doesn't look rusted. It doesn't look old. It's like a good looking knife. And she sets it on the windowsill and then she puts this wedding dress on over her clothes and puts on this elaborate black necklace and just kind of starts like prancing around. Having a, a moment. Bit. Having a moment. Yeah. And then on the wall, she sees this elaborate round silver picture frame. Do you want try to will you explain what this picture frame looks like? Because I don't understand. I don't understand why it looks like, the way that it looks. It just looks like it looks almost black. It's like curly, like weird. Like uh, it's not a, it's not an attractive frame. It looks super heavy. It's kind of a weird. I don't know. It was. It looks evil. <laughs> it looks a little evil. Yeah. And it's got a picture in it of a whole wedding party. Is that about right? With another redhead. Could it be the same one? It's a weird picture. Three people. A man in the center sitting down, and then on either side of him is a woman and one woman's a little bit older looking at the camera. And then on his left is our right is a woman who is Emily. Like we know this is Emily <laughs> and she's looking away from the camera. That's a sepia tone, but it, you know, it's, it, you know, if we could see in color, that would be red hair. I didn't know that I got the other one was a woman. And so the other one could have been like, you know, like a Jessica stand in in a way. Sure. You know, like some other woman, she drove nuts. That's a fair point because she doesn't look happy. No. <laughs> they start loading some stuff into the back of the hearse and Jessica wants to keep the picture, but Duncan tells her to put it in. And Emily says, you're going to sell this, referring to the frame. She says, but they're people. They have a history. You can't just sell them like an old car, but they're going to do it anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> Emily has packed up her stuff and she's going to get a ride back into town and part ways. And Woody has this little like tender, sad moment where he he tells Emily, I thought you said you wouldn't go away. And Emily says, did you believe me? And Woody says, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> it's cute and silly. It is kind of cute. And it's kind of like it's because poor Woody, like this is his last chance for some tale is about to leave the movie. He's going to be stuck with Jessica. There's nothing, you know, he, he seems like a randy guy. You know what I mean? Like a full blooded guy. I mean, he's young, Woody. he's virile, he's Woody. attractive. Woody is his name. Very virile. There are only three women in this movie, even when we get, well, I'll point this detail out in a minute, but there are only three women in this whole movie. The rest of it is men by design, I think. I think you're right. So Jessica is sitting in the car with Duncan and turns to him and she she has a smile on her face and she says, why don't we ask her to stay? Like, why don't we just have her stay with us? And Duncan, he wastes no time and jumps out of that car. 
<laughs> and invites Emily to stay. And she's very excited. And Jessica says, we're glad to have you. And then we hear Emily whisper, I won't go away, Jessica. I'll never go away. Which is what Emily had told Woody that she wouldn't go away, right? And she's not going away. Just stuck with it. She's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> On the way to town to sell these antiques, Jessica asks Duncan if he finds Emily attractive and he admits it and says, yeah. And then they stop at the general store from before. And Jessica, uh, they part ways. Jessica follows a sign that says fresh eggs. And she goes into this noisy, overcrowded chicken coop. And did you notice this? All the chickens are roosters. Something about it is very uh, Texas Chainsaw because it's so like loud, the chickens, and it's so like another or otherworldly. And it's just like, it's just like, ah, like what do you, and the guy's so creepy with her. And she's, she's got that, that big smile on her face, like eggs. <laughs> she just wants some eggs. Yeah. It's a very, I, it's so unsettling. And I think it's because in our minds, we don't notice that it's all men, like male chickens, right? I didn't notice that. That's great. With with these. And then, and then, but I think you do recognize that something's off if she's buying eggs, but we're only looking at like 50 male rooster chickens all over the place, you know? Loud squawking. And then the other half side. <laughs> on the other side. Tell them what else is going on. Duncan is looking to sell. He he asked somebody in the general store, where can I go like find a place to sell antiques? And this old man <laughs> tells him, if there was a place, I sure wouldn't tell you. Bunch of assholes. So shitty. These <laughs> people are so shitty to them. It's like not being neighborly. And the, the man who says that, he's got bandages on his inner arms. And uh, so Jessica, she gets startled by the chickens. They kind of scream at her. And here's something, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but she's holding these this carton of eggs in a very weird way that you would not hold a carton of eggs. And in the back of my right. mind, I keep waiting for her to drop these eggs. And I don't think it's intentional, but just this thought of me afraid that she's going to shatter these eggs adds to the tension of what's happening. And I, I, I don't know why, but like you said, it's a weird, it just, a, it's an off-putting scene. Yes. And then, uh, so they, everybody goes back out there and the, there's like a group of older guys hanging out by the hearse. And one of them's using his heel to scrape off the love. And they kind of rough him up a little bit, the husband. Like they, they look a little bullyish to him, right? Yeah, they like, like bop, they like bop the back of his head as he's getting into the car and he says, watch it. And then Jessica notices and she's still holding the eggs in a weird fucking way. And she notices that, yeah, he scraped the word love off of the door of the car. And uh, they're, you know, they're not getting out of her way. I'm we get these some fucking eggs right at their head. Uh, honestly, she just shatter those eggs on their faces we get um these weird close-up shots of them like the camera's way too close to their faces as they're staring at her and then she gets in and they drive away and jessica asks why are they all bandaged like talking about the bandages that are all you know mm. on these guys bodies and she even noticed that the chicken farmer had one too on his neck mm. So they find an antique store and they discover that the owner used to live in New York. His name is Sam Dunker. He had an antique shop in New York. They used to live by it. They have, you know, New Yorkers do that whole, oh, I know that street corner as though, you know, that means something. <laughs> something we all do. <laughs> Jess mentions, she mentions that they tore their building down and then Duncan cuts her off. And it's this little 
like throwaway moment that I'm have to wonder if that was part of their decision to leave as well. Right now. And if you think about it also, it means that their home was destroyed in New York. They have no home left. They have nothing left there. Right. So let's go try something new. But he's also always cutting her off in mixed company. Yes. Like when they're like with the, definitely with the townspeople, he's always trying to shut her down a little bit. I'm like, oh, no, like, like, don't. Very much with this man as well. Uh, they uh, <laughs> they show the guy's trying to sell them antiques. Duncan says, "No, we're not interested. We're trying to sell." And Jessica sees he goes up this... in a schmear though for a while. He's like, "Oh, I got this great lamp. I got this other thing. Ah, oh, come on, let me show you this." And he's running around like so excited. And they're looking at each other like, "Oh, how do we tell him?" <laughs> I'm looking to sell, not buy. <laughs> he, speaking of that lamp, he just, you know, Jessica mentions that it's so beautiful. And he says it is a Malf- Malfior lamp, uh, Italian for flowers of evil. And Jessica, in her head, we hear whispers, flowers of evil. How could anything this pretty be evil? It's just old. Uh, that's all. And then as she's looking around, we hear her think, when we have money again, this is the kind of stuff we're going to buy for the house. So like, uh, all right, they lost their home in New York. They have no money. This might have been their only option, you know, is to buy this dirt cheap fruit kind farm. of yeah, fruit farm, which would not be affordable by today's standards. I feel like in 1971, you could get a piece of property like that for dirt cheap. God, you totally could way back when. It's the big problem today. They are selling all of their all of the stuff, the antiques that they found. And Mr. Dunker. The antiques dealer remarks uh, that the silver name is, uh, you know, it's a very nice piece. And he recognizes the people in the picture. It's the bishops. Did the owner tell you any stories about Abigail Bishop drowning in, ni- in 1880? It's quite a story. And then he lowballs them on their prices, on the pieces. And, you know, he tells them it's because he feels funny buying these. He doesn't think that the locals would like it if he were selling the bishop's stuff. Um, and he just wants to keep the frame again. And Duncan shuts her down. And the antiques dealer, Mr. Dunker, continues and says, the story about the bishops is extraordinary. Abigail never got to wear that wedding dress. And Jess is interested and Duncan interrupts. She's like, she's like, oh no, just give him another minute. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, oh, exactly. No, she's like, she does this great thing. She's like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. And she's really interested. And, and Duncan's like, no. Nah. And then uh, the antiques dealer <laughs> says, set her off. Exactly. She drowned in the cove behind her house, your house. They never found her body. The legend is she's still alive. And some shit. And some say she's a vampire who roams the countryside. And that's when Duncan interrupts him and said he asked for the money. Like he doesn't think that Jess can handle this story. Yep. <laughs> and in the car, Jessica <laughs> remarks to Duncan. She says, that was rude. Don't do that again when you cut him off. And, um, you know, you're making me sick that you're worrying about me this much. Which I like that. She's sending boundaries. Yep. She's got, this is like the first like kind of like boundary. She's kind of like, she's like, please don't. I don't even think she says please. Does she? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think know. she says don't do that but again. Like that it. was rude. Yeah. Uh, we see Mr. Dunker get his fishing pole and his tackle box. And he's off to go fishing. <laughs> and there's a whole kind of scene of him in a, in a boat. A little, a little, uh, I wonder if it's the same boat at the end. A little rowboat. I, th- uh, I don't think it's not. I look Jessica ends up. There. It's not. I, I, I actually tried to that? make sure. Yeah, it's not. Uh, Woody drives his tractor out of the shed. It's, he's taken upon himself to spray this orchard with pesticides. And Emily is strumming her guitar on the porch. 
and uh, Jess and Duncan are waving at Woody and she just says, oh gosh, it's so beautiful. Can we really stay? I think this moment's really interesting because she's watching Woody spray pesticides. He's spraying death all over this orchard, right? And she remarks that it's beautiful. Can we stay here? Then she begins to pick an apple and Duncan stops her and he says, hey, don't touch that. It's poison. So two things come to my mind when I'm watching this movie. One, a poisoned apple from Snow White. B, the Garden of Eden. And she's reaching for this apple, aka knowledge. And her husband says, don't touch that. It's poison. Like he is keeping her from, you know, from growing as a person. Like, or dying. <laughs> she's about to gobble it up. She's so or dumb. dying. But I think that she has she has this kind of comfortable feel about death. Like she surrounds herself with these grave rubbings and, you know, she's got this um, kind of morbid obsession. Like, you tell, like almost she's going to be better off dead. She, at least I think thing. she feels that way. You know, like she she I, I get the sense that she would be comfortable if she died. I don't think she right. would take her life, but I don't think she would mind if she died. Correct. Agreed. So um, what so, happens. So Jess and Duncan, Jessica and Duncan are going to the cemetery to do more rubbings. And I, I guess we kind of realize now that there's a cemetery kind of within walking distance to their house. And Duncan finds a mole next to a grave and picks it up. And as it turns out, <laughs> the mole that they had purchased for use in this film died before its scene came up. <laughs> and the only animal that they could find was a field mouse. So this mole is played by a mouse, which I think actually works in the movie's favor because he's holding a mouse and he's telling her it's a mole. And if we are going with this idea that he may be gaslighting or he may be manipulating her and she's believing it, it's an accident because they they had a real mole, you know? It's just, but I, I think it adds to it, you know? Totally. I, I don't even know if I know what a mole looks like to tell you the truth. So I just uh, assume it was a mole. Because he's like, don't, don't, don't touch it, don't touch it. And she's like, oh, 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 can we keep it? Can we keep it? Oh, she's, she's very excited for the mole. Super excited. And she, so yeah, he goes back to the house to put it in a box. And she's overly excited to keep this poor creature, you know, like that's not going to live. You put it, whatever. All right. So. The right. um Ow. now we do cut to like you mentioned Mr. Dunker fishing on his rowboat and the redheaded body under the lake. We see that kind of by the boat, and then we cut away and we don't see any more. Music gets really fucking good right now. And Jessica finds Abigail Bishop's grave, which I think is interesting because they remarked that they never found her body in the lake, and yet she has a grave. Uh, and she sees the woman in white that keeps disappearing on the hill above the cemetery and she's beckoning for her. And Jessica follows her through the woods. She starts to hear water gushing and she follows the sound to a waterfall. And at the bottom of the waterfall, she sees Mr. Dunker and he's bloody and he's dead. And this is another really effective jump scare. I agree. <laughs> it's getting a little bit big old throat injury there. Yeah. Which is going to become a common theme. Uh, she, screams loses it <laughs> loses it runs away and then she brings dunk and her husband back to the scene and mr dunker is gone and she's upset and her husband does not believe her about any of this and uh <clears throat> pardon me 
Then they I, see the little girl in white. Yes, and so Duncan fun. sees her this time. So the girl is real, and they chase after her. They chase through the apple orchard, and Duncan catches her. And we, you know, Jessica's saying like, "Why are you?" chasing why are you following me were you leading me to that body and we learn we we discovered that this girl can't talk she's mute and she's got a bandage too doesn't she mm. she's got a little bandage going on too does she it would make sense well, she's got a scarf around her neck like she's covering something i'll buy that yeah for so sure I, I feel like there was something going on with that and i feel like emily kind of shut her up like they don't really say that but i feel like that's that's kind of the implied because she's trying to warn oh you think that she doesn't speak because of emily yeah like emily did something to her so she can't speak because she's like she's not like she's not like doing anything with sign language or anything she's like you know like she's making like like somebody who can't who recently couldn't talk i don't know maybe they didn't have sign language back then did they 1971 they did what do you think they did yeah okay good they did Um, you know, I think that's a brilliant. No, that's a brilliant point because Woody rolls up on the tractor and says what's going on. And then Emily walks in and she's holding one of the apples and kind of tossing it in her yeah. hand. And when yes. the little girl sees when the she's not a little girl, she's probably about 20. But when she sees Emily, she runs away terrified. Busted. Is that the last we see of her? It is I not mean, the last we see. Of her. Oh, um, yeah, we don't see her again until. The end. <laughs> she was, I feel like she was like, she was very like underused. Like there was the more like, cause, cause you kind of think she's the monster at first. Like at first, like she, cause she seems sort of ghostly. Like when you see her in the cemetery in the beginning, you kind of think she's like the ghost. She seems like a ghost. She's very ghosty. She's giving ghost vibes and she's very an unexplained character. If there's anything in this movie that I wish were a little better explained or elaborated on, it might, I think it would be her. I think when I first saw this movie, I was confusing her with Emily because Emily also appears in white throughout, you know, the movie as well. But I love, I love your concept that, uh, that Emily made her mute or took her voice away in some way. And yeah, there is a scarf around her neck. So she may have just taken her fucking, you know, larynx or something and i feel like there's a, i mean i've seen it so many times i feel like i, I, I saw the bandage the last time okay like I was like, oh, oh she's 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 fucked up too like the guys in town yeah but unlike the guys in town well i feel like like emily gets rid of the women but she'll let some of the guy like the guy am i jumping ahead too much keep going mm, no i mean Sorry. i think that's a great point yeah we'll, let's get to that let's get to that so uh, we're at the kitchen table. Okay. Emily's telling some really dumb story about a killer cake in Scotland. And Jess notices that she grabs Duncan's <laughs> arm and it's it's with intention. Right. And we hear her whisper. He wants her. He'll never believe me again. No one will. Did it happen? Did oh, it happen? Yeah. And then in her head, she pictures the girl and the antiques dealer's body and then the body floating in the water. And we hear, come, Jessica, come with me, Jessica, come. And then we hear Emily whisper, he's mine now. You think he loves you? He's mine now. And oh, Jessica feigns laughter at the end of Emily's story. And she says she's tired. And she says goodnight. And then she says goodnight to the mole. And it's really uncomfortable. Uh, um, they right. put the mole in like a weird it's little... There's a mole murder about to happen. <laughs> a mole murder. <laughs> they put it in like a fishbowl with a lid on it. And some newspaper, and we don't see the mole again. Yeah, well, until it's too late. <laughs> the mole is off camera. Uh, what is the knife scene? Is that was there like a knife thing happening? Yeah, but that's coming. Not yet. Okay. Okay. Cat. Carry on. So 
Woody, uh, Woody stands and uh, he says to Duncan, so he, he says to Emily first, good night. And there's a little bit of like, a, do you want to come with me? And she says, good night and kind of dismisses him. And it's clear like she's not going to come with him. And Woody stands up and he says to Duncan, take care of your wife there. And like, uh, he can see what's scene. going on. It's a great moment, right? Yeah, because like uh, Woody sees it now. Yeah. And so, you know, he says goodnight and leaves. And then there's a moment, Duncan and Emily look at each other. And then he says goodnight and leaves Emily alone. Reluctantly. Reluctantly. He's like, yeah. yeah. He doesn't want to leave, but he, but he has to. Because he's busted, kind of. And exactly. How would you choose Duncan over Woody? I just got to say that. How do you choose Duncan over Woody? Man, I don't know. Come on. Well, because I think we're, we'll get into it, you know. But I think that yeah, the. Um, she, had a big, she had a bigger game plan going. Emily wants Emily wants Jessica ultimately, you know, and so she has to tear her down and destroy everything around her. So Jessica and Duncan are in bed and she's kind of trying to be sweet, talking about sugar maples. And he just out of nowhere says, uh, you know, maybe you should go back to New York for a while. You should see your doctor. Heart wrenching. Yeah. She tears up. You just see the pain on her face and she's so like, ah, destroyed. Yeah, like, oh, like, oh, like, oh, I mean, I really felt you really feel for her there because she's like, she's given it her all, and-, and she's still, she's, t- she has tears in her eyes, but she's still smiling. She's doing a smiling thing, tears in her eyes, and she's smiling through it, right? Yeah, and she says, Where will we get the money? And he says, We'll find it. And uh, then he says, You know, I just can't take it anymore, Jess. And she says, Why don't you leave me then? And there are tears streaming, and he turns to face her and he tries to touch her. Uh, and she starts having a fit. And this is the most upset that we see her in the whole movie, you know? And yeah. she has a very specific pattern of speech. You think I'm hopeless? Leave me. Like it's very, <laughs> you know, um, inhuman or just the complete opposite of how she's behaved the rest of the movie. And you can right. kind she's, of see it sounds like she's going crazy. Yeah. You can kind of see that, oh, this is what she might have been like <laughs> while she was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's coming back. <laughs> Uh, and it's just heartbreaking. She calms down. He rolls over and uh, she goes to touch him. And then she doesn't. She starts to get out of bed. And then, you know, maybe it'd be better if we sleep apart tonight. And Duncan says, don't go. I will go. I'm not sleepy anyway. So she lays Oof. down, feels dis- defeated. And now we cut to the mole <laughs> in the fishbowl. And the lid gets taken off. And that same knife from the attic is like, put into the bowl and we don't see it but we just see the knife go up and down just slightly and little uh, bits of blood on the end of the blade uh, and it's a mess and that was a so did you read this whole thing where it was like the the actress who was supposed to do it had this whole breakdown scene because she did not want to kill the mole the mole it turned out to be a mouse but it, she was like she didn't want to have anything to do with that and uh they had to kind of talk her back into the into the room to do it. Like she was she ran out into the car, locked herself. She was like, ah, I don't want to kill a mouse. I don't want to, you know, I don't know if that's my character. Jesus. That background is so cool. <laughs> He's such a fucking annoying cat. I love him so much. Um, <laughs> I did read that. And then they, the filmmakers are really murky about the dead mouse that she holds later. And they don't, how, they, how, it, how did this how mouse they got die? a dead mouse and, in their uh, hand? I've really hoped that they nobody's talking. Yeah, we all know what happened to that poor I mean, thing. How else do you get a dead mouse on cue? Yeah, <laughs> on cue. <laughs> you gotta... <laughs> all right, so Duncan's asleep in his chair and downstairs, and Emily approaches wearing a white 
what I, nightgown or the white wedding dress. I couldn't tell, but she sits on the arm of the chair and Duncan wakes up and he starts touching her face and then her hair and then down her arm and she unbuttons her nightgown and then they start kissing and the music's spooky and then they kiss passionately. And then we, she kind of like slinks down into his lap and then we fade to the lake at sunrise and Jess yeah. starts shrieking. No, no, no. And she's holding this dead mole covered in blood mouse (laughs) he explains that uh she thinks that the same creature or whatever it is that killed the antique dealer killed the mole i know everyone thinks that i did it but i swear i didn't everyone's just looking at her like she's nuts and she runs upstairs looks out the window and woody gets on his tractor and then we hear emily giggling and duncan gets into the hearse and the the view is from upstairs right jessica looking downstairs at the top of the hearse and so we can't see in the car and we see Emily lean in toward the driver's side window. And is it a kiss? Is it whispering or saying something close to his face? We don't know. It's inappropriate. We, it's inappropriate. Whatever it is. Yes. <laughs> so it's Jessica. Just her ass sticking out. Uh, and she smiles after she does it too. So Jessica goes up to the attic and we see the silver frame is hanging there again in the attic. The one that they sold. Um, And we hear whispers, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm here, I'm still here. And then we hear also when the um, antiques dealer said, Abigail never got to wear that wedding dress. And Emily comes up from behind her, startles her and starts approaching her with like this intense look in her eyes, right? Almost like- It's a little lesbian-y, right? This is like the lesbian moment, I would think, right? Like, cause it feels like these were two guys. This would be like a- (laughs) Yeah, I've- I've seen that porn. So Duncan uh, pulls into the general store. (laughs) Duncan pulls up to the general store. He gets out of his car and goes inside and the old men follow him in. And then we cut back to Jess and Emily. And Jessica remarks that the woman in the picture looks so much like her. And and Emily's kind of being like dismissive, like, oh, I guess. Yeah, it does. How weird. Well, it's an old picture. It could be anybody. And Jessica's no, like it. It's in the eyes. It this... looks just like you. Like, it really does. No, no. She's just like, she's got her hand on her chin and she's like nodding. No, she's like, no, no. Looks just like you. Like trying to be cash. Or the other one's kind of creeping up on us some more. Super uncomfortable. And Emily starts stroking her face. And she says, I'm so sorry you're upset. Uh, and Jessica is so uncomfortable. And then we hear Emily whispering. crawling. Crawling. <laughs> Jessica, come home, Jessica. My eyes, look into my eyes and come with me. And so Emily suggests, let's just go for a swim. You need some air. And Jessica says, I I don't want to get in the water. I want to stay away from the cove. The water is frightening. You know, the water scares me. Um, And Emily says, sure, you don't have to swim. Just kind of slide under the water and then we'll get some sun. So they walk to the lake together and we hear hear whispers, follow me, Jessica, follow me. And they get to the lake. And Emily starts putting sunscreen, like lotion on Jess's back and it gets really intimate, right? She starts kind of Uh pulling the straps of her bathing suit down. And she's not enjoying it. Jess is not enjoying it. (laughs) She's like, "Uh, she's like, "Uh, that's enough. No, that's good. No, no, that's okay. No, no, thank you. No, that's good. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Thank you. It is stop. (laughs) It's exactly what she does. And then uh, she, Emily starts kind of touching her face too. And she does exactly what you just did. It's like, okay, that's good. Uh Uh-huh. And then she does that fucked up thing that nobody wants you to do when you're standing next to a body of water and fucking pushes her in. 
it's so fucked up. And then she jumps in after her and starts dunking her under the water. And (laughs) Jessica again is like, get away from me. That's enough. I've had enough. Like she's not, um, she's not, not having it, not enjoying it at all. Not being super pushy back about it though. Like her boundaries are like, not, she's not like, she's not mean. She's never like, stop it. She's always trying to be super polite and nice and it's not working for her. Which is also for me, a little bit of the lesbian undertones, you know, in that I, I think that she like, she does have an attraction to Emily somewhere in there and she's so repressed and she's so pushed away and pushed aside and she's not allowing herself to feel these things right she's not struggling or trying to get away super fast no but she's Um, trying and so she does about the the husband yeah so when he goes into the the store and the guys follow him into it is it because he's now one of them I think that uh, not yet. I think that that happens shortly after that because he told before he left, he told Emily, I'll be back before lunch. He was going to go look for a telephone and then we don't see him again for a long, long time. So back at the lake, Jessica does uh, get away from Emily and then looks around and Emily's gone. And then she starts to see that floating body under the water again. And it gets very still. And we hear the whispering, come to me, Jessica, come to me this way follow me here jessica here and then a white arm reaches up and pulls her under and jessica shrieks and she runs out of the water this time like she was not running from emily but she's running from this and then from under the water emily begins to rise and she's wearing the white wedding dress from the picture and it's fucking scary dude she's like corpse white the hair is like wet red hair hanging out like like almost a like carry kind of yeah and like kind of creeping up on her and it's so it's so yeah super slow super like not a rush like the exact opposite of the voyage of the Damakamaka. you know like where it's <laughs> zooming in on her like she's just doing a slow creep very effective. yes it takes its time she takes her time getting out we hear whispering stay jessica stay and she slowly emerges from the water and we hear you're home now you're home and uh emily uh goes it she gets so we're face to face now right emily and jessica become face to face and emily goes in for her neck and you can't tell if it's to bite it or for a kiss it's very ambiguous just like this whole fucking movie emily grabs jessica by the wrist but she gets away and she's running 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 back home locks herself into her bed great run it's like a shrieking barefoot over like (laughs) the flailing wet bathing suit yep (laughs) (laughs) yep and it goes on and on she runs past some tire tractors yeah 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 back to the house uh, tries to lock her bedroom door and it won't lock and i have to wonder did duncan remove the locks from the bedroom door was there a lock originally i don't know but it won't lock it is the whole thing so she takes the dresser which has a mirror so the door has a mirror on the back of it the um dresser that she shoves in front of it has a mirror on it as well and she sits down on the bed and she starts looking at her grave wet. rubbings and uh and wet, wet. exactly something Stoner about being in a wet suit. bathing suit sitting on your bed is the grossest thing in the world to me yeah like don't sit on your bed in a wet bathing suit that would drive me nuts right there 
and maybe that's also adding to the paranoia Sorry. and dread feeling of this movie, right? So the, we see the clock and two hours have passed and she's just been like looking at the grave rubbings on the wall. They're kind of swaying and flapping in the wind just a it's little such bit. a weird, the time, like that, you know that like when you lock yourself in a room and I feel like people do that all the time, especially during uh, COVID and all the time when you're just in a room by yourself and time is passing, you hear the ticking of the clock mm. and the, it's just moving and... And like the room is taking on a, a like a, a character of its own, you know, like the the gray rubbings are starting to flutter a little bit. Like, where's that wind coming from? Super creepy. Super, super creepy. She starts thinking, where's Duncan? You know, he said he'd be back. Whispers like lunch. full on now, right? Yeah, whispers a lot. Um, and then we start hearing a whisper like saying, I want you, I need you. What have you got to live for? You want to die? Why go on? Over and over and over. And then we hear that Abigail giggle from before echoing but it's kind of distorted and then we hear emily say i'm still here i won't go away i'll never go away i'm in your blood and a couple it's now been four hours have passed and she puts on a you know she's getting dressed and we hear distant pounding which is very reminiscent of of the haunting right and the pounding gets louder and louder jessica pushes the dresser out of the way of the door and then the mirror on the door startles her and she screams and emerges from the bedroom and suddenly the pounding stops, the music stops and she's standing outside of the bedroom door and she looks really small in this space. You know, yeah. it, it's, I think yeah. it's very deliberate. The house is eating her. Yeah, yeah. She walks down the stairs and this percussive synth music is building and that coffin-like instrument case is at the bottom of the stairs and it looks so unusual. It clearly looks nothing like the rest of the house. It, you know, it, it, she's afraid of it. Huge. Yeah, it's massive. It's just like tall. It's taller than I am, you know, and uh, she's afraid of it. She eases toward it, eases past it, kind of looks inside because it's standing up, but it's open, uh, almost like a sarcophagus, right? Yes. Yes. And uh, there's nothing inside. And she leaves the house and now she runs down the road and she stops a truck driver who's driving past. And um, she asks, she says, will you help me? And as a as an actress, she just looks like someone on the street who is clearly struggling with their mental health. And like, would you, you know what stopped, I mean? Would you picked her up. Like I don't know if I would have picked her up. We we talked about on it's my last episode. My my last episode was about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and we discussed would you ever pick up a hitchhiker? And my answer is a strict no. But right. Uh, I don't in 1971, this woman is alone and this whole movie is about female suppression and underestimating them. And so, sure, this and guy really hitchhiked a lot back then. That was like yes. a real thing. Yeah. That was I don't how you got around. Yeah. I don't think it's something that happens, you know, anymore. Um, she's dazed. I and... had an uncle that, that got all the way to L.A. by hitchhiking. Are you kidding? From here? Yeah. Uh-huh. But back in the 50s or that's... early 60s. 60s. That's... I bet that's a good story. Like the people he met, the places he stayed. I yeah, bet that's really interesting. Oh my God. Yeah, he's got a million of them. And he came back from Woodstock. He actually went to Woodstock. Nice. And uh, I, I need to hear more about that story though, actually. I'm going to pump him next time I see him. Do it. So uh, Woody gets off the tractor and uh, goes into the house. He's calling for Emily or Jessica. No one answers. And then Emily comes down the stairs in the white wedding dress and she's dry now. Um <laughs> Right. Uh, he, he says, where's Jessica? And she tells him she left, but don't worry. 
uh, she just walked down to town to find Duncan. So we're all alone and she's being really weird, but really sexy at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's like a trap. She says, do you like my new dress? My new old dress? And he tells her, I see what you've been doing with my friend. And she says, I thought you liked me. You know I do. Do you like me now? Yes. Show me. And then they start kissing. (laughs) And then she goes in for his neck. And here's my thing, a little bit about this. He has been uh, spraying the pesticides. He's covered in poison. He tells her, I need to go shower. And she says, do you need to go shower? And then she ends up biting him, which I, in my mind is going back a little bit to Jessica biting the apple covered in poison before, right? She's mm-hmm. biting him. He's covered in poison. I feel like there's something there and I'm not placing well, it Poison's right. not going to do anything to her. You know, she's already dead. I mean, right. No, you're not. I, mean, I think by this point, we've all figured out she... that she's, yeah. <laughs> so Jess, uh, Jessica gets dropped off bad. in town <laughs> and she's asking the old men at the general store if they've seen the man who drives the hearse. The hearse is parked right there. I know you must have seen him. And they're telling her no. And these men's bandages are off. And we see that they each have these deep scars on their bodies, on their neck or the side of the face or that guy on the inside of his arms. And... um she, you know, Jessica, we hear whispers, the girl who was lead, uh, the girl was leading me to the body. She was warning me. She's warning me. She starts running through the woods and then suddenly uh, wakes up on the ground and it's dark now. Such a run through the woods scene. Like she's really having, Jessica is having the worst day ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, this is the same day as the water. Yeah. The lake, you know what I mean? Like she is just like locked herself in a room. She's out of the house. She's running through the woods. She's nobody's, they're all, they're all giving her the runaround. She's having a bad day. Real bad. Nothing's going her way. Passed out on the ground. <laughs> she wakes up and this is another uh, This is another great day for night shot because now we really don't know what the hell's going on with her. And she hears Duncan calling her name. And he comes, you know, grabs her, uh, holds on to her and says, it'll be okay. I'll take you home. And she goes with him. And the house is, there's fog surrounding the house. It's really spooky looking. They get home and the lights are not working. And Duncan lights an oil lamp and they go upstairs. Her arms are like around him. She relies so heavily on him. She's so dependent on him. And uh, they get to the bedroom. Uh, and um, the he gets in bed and calls for her, like beckons to come to bed. And the angel faces on the grave rubbings are watching this happen. And she starts kissing him. And then finally, the first time in the whole movie, they're having like a sexy moment. Like, like it doesn't happen. Like long-term relationships, you don't get them. Sometimes it dies off and it's finally kind of, kind of kicking in a little bit. And she needs this bad. Yeah. But unfortunately, <laughs> then what she happens? discovers on the side of his face, like kind of under the ear, there's an into the neck, there is a long scar. I'm a little bit inclined with the lesbian undertones of this film to make the suggestion that these long slits are almost vaginal, but I don't want to go too deeply into this because I don't have the words to express it the way that it's accumulating in my mind. So she sees this scar and Duncan goes in to kiss the side of her neck. And then Emily in the white wedding dress approaches the bed and we hear her think it's not real Jessica. It's in your mind. Duncan's mine in your home now. And Emily's holding that knife right before that happens, right before that happens when he's kissing her neck, like, like she's seen the scar, he's kissing her neck and 
and she her eyes kind of like look up she's her head's kind of rolling back and she's sort of giving into it yes she's like this is like like i had to say i i jumped out of a plane once and they made me like they, when you do it you know you attach to some guy and then you're like all right look up look up before you jump in you can't look down you gotta look up and i had and they took a picture of me and i have the same fucking face on just this resigned gave up <laughs> they're gonna chop my head off kind of like a chicken like she's she's sort of giving up right there like she's like she's just giving up but then emily comes in now hit it that's brilliant and it is brilliant and yes you're absolutely right she does give in almost like accepting death too yes emily approaches her holding that knife and goes into the neck and it we don't see it happen but emily makes it almost as though she's slitting her neck with this knife and then she goes in and starts kissing or sucking on her neck so we've got duncan on one side of her neck emily on the other and then suddenly the room is filled with the grumpy mean uh, old guys from town and they're walking slowly toward, surrounding her oh, yeah, so gross. walking toward the bed it reminds you know ari aster may have lifted from this for hereditary a little bit i have to think uh, with all of the the that. naked people right. in the darkness, but so they are getting closer and closer, and she shrieks and she jumps out of Emma, uh, Jessica shrieks, jumps out of bed, finally loses it. You've been waiting to do this this whole movie, yeah, really, like to just kind of push back, yeah. <laughs> Uh, she runs down the stairs and the coffin case is open now and the mute girl is inside of it and her neck is cut and there's blood and Emily got her. I'm never going to get a story of her. <laughs> nope, never. So Jessica runs through the orchard and she sees the tractor spraying pesticides. And when I say this tractor sprays pesticides, oh. it is like it is a geyser of of pesticide spraying. She everywhere. is getting it. Full, she's running right in it, like fully drenched, kind of like kind of runs through the poison. Yeah. Sees dead Woody on the track, his throat's back, his, his neck is all tore open and she freezes. And then the poison comes back and smacks her so hard in the face. Like as an actress, that was so amazing. Like the way that that whole scene, like where she's like, this is the point. I mean, like, I'm sure it was water, but just to think that it was poison, like is amazing smack in the face yeah i gotta say i i i filmed a scene once where i got a glass of water like spray or uh, thrown in my face and it is so hard to act like you don't know yeah. that you're about to get hit in the face with water coming <laughs> it's so hard she does it great that scene is the scene that is so embedded in my mind from when i was a child uh, it's it's just like it's so upsetting to me seeing woody like kind of splayed back on the seat with Ugh. his neck slit and uh and just there's some kind of strange beauty in the poison that's just gushing, like spraying out of this thing, you know, full blast, full blast. She starts running again through the orchard and her nightgown is reminiscent of a hospital. Totally. Gown, I think. Um, and totally. now suddenly it's the sun is out and it's bright and she gets to the ferry and that same old veteran from before tells her the ferry isn't running for you. And he's got a scar on his neck. So she gets into a rowboat that's by the water and she uh, gets out on the water and she stops. And then the music stops. This pulsing music has been going and there's stillness. And then a hand reaches out from the water and grabs onto the boat. And she grabs, is it called a gaff? Yeah, something with a hook. Is that what it's at the end of it? Yeah, so like a, a stick with a hook. I don't know what they're using. Is it to like pull yourself to the dock? A mean looking hook. 
like a, like a mean looking hook. She starts whacking this person in the back. Furiously. Just like, blood everywhere. She's killing this person. And then the body turns over and it is Duncan. And she has killed him. Uh, she's killed her husband. And then on the shore, all lined up is Emily standing there. And she's got like all like the, the old guys are kind of like standing behind like an army almost. And she's looking at it and she's like, and you can tell her her posture's like, fuck, she got away. Like, I didn't get this one. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't really care that Duncan's dead. But she's like kind of bummed that that Emily, she's just sort of resigned. And she just kind of turns around and wanders off. And then we're back to Emily. Then we're back to Jessica in the boat. And we get that those same lines from the beginning of, of the movie. I sit here and I can't believe that it happened. And yet I have to believe it. Nightmares or dreams, madness or sanity. Uh, I don't know which is which. And she sits alone on this boat and she kind of looks down and then she just slowly, and it's kind of a long shot, right? She's kind of a silhouette along the, the sunrise. And as the credits begin to roll and the music plays, she just slowly lays down in the boat and then the boat drifts off, like out of the shot. Ugh, amazing. She's so fucked. So and so she's doomed. She's, she's fucked either way she's going it's like the best case scenario is she's going back to an insane asylum for killing her husband yeah i mean that's that's the best yeah the happiest ending for her right there other than that it's it's back to the island which with a killer or she's or she's dead there and she just died like like like, right i mean like what are what are her options here yeah no the that's the options what is your read about in her head versus really happening I think it had. I think that's. I, I mean, I I love that that you don't know that it's that's super like, but I mean, like by the end of it, you, you it's, it's no longer like just her. Like it's you see it's it's all happening and and you're putting the pieces together with her. And, and I loved all that and all the dead bodies, and I don't know, I loved it. Uh, I thought I thought it was real. I think it's real, and I think that I I think it's real, and I think that some of it's in her head. Like her imagination is getting away with her because she's dealing with this really bizarre situation. But if you think when they have that seance and she hears someone talk about Abigail's, you know, as a bride and the to the bishops, no one has told her about this family yet, but she hears it at the seance. But then also she's imagining them eating this raw bloody meat twice so i do think there's like a mix let me ask you this who do you think killed the mole it's got to be what's her face uh emily you think it was emily i think it was emily i think it's emily yeah, emily did it all fucking with jessica and jessica's just like, like you think she's and i think that's the beauty of the movie is that you did kind of like do i believe this girl like is this all going to be a dream but it kind of keeps piling on so that I feel like we're ruining this movie for people. <laughs> when I do these more obscure films, my hope, my goal is for people to watch the movie and people who listen to my show do this. And then they come listen to the podcast because they want to talk about Good. it. Right. Um, so I don't worry about spoiling it. These people, if you've gotten this far, you've probably seen the movie already. Um, I, I just think it, the movie is a mood. It is uh, mood. unsettling from start to finish. It, it accomplishes a lot I know a couple of people who don't like this movie. They find it too slow. They think nothing happens. They're horrible people. <laughs> but I know them. <laughs> well, I, I think for for the people that for the people that this movie is for, 
it is a masterpiece, an accidental masterpiece, right? But I have yeah. to fully admit that this movie is not for everybody. And I would never ask everybody to watch this or appreciate it. But what I don't like is when people say that movie sucks uh, because it doesn't. The movie is not for right. you. And that's fine. But just because you do not like something does not mean that it is bad. There are bad movies out there. This isn't one of them. It's just clearly not for you. I think it's a masterpiece. Yeah, me too. And I'm really glad. 1971, gold. Really glad to see it. Glad to know it. I don't get tired of it. And I'm glad we talked about it. Now, I will say, I will ask you this. On Rick or Treat Horrorcast, we have a rating system. A movie is either a trick, which means it's okay. Or it's a treat, which means you love it. Or it is a smell my feet, which means it sucks. How would you rate this movie? Trick, treat, or smell my feet? Total treat. Same. I think. Totally the same. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen this movie either. From I feel like for like I feel like I saw it at the end of the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, like 50 years I feel like I've been watching this movie. So like five decades. Yeah. You know, from being a little kid and catching it and and like I took I don't think it was to like the early 2000s that I watched it again and realized Woody what got killed. Like I never saw the ending. Like I was kind of just like Oh right, like, cuz you would, yeah, you would drift off. So, because it was always like super late at night, and it's just a movie that it's kind of hard to watch. I mean, it's kind of perfect, but it's, I mean, it's a great creepy late night movie, but yeah, it's, you gotta like take a nap for it because it could put you out because it's so dreamy. It's a cozy, it's a, a cozy, dreamy, creepy late night movie. That's, uh, you know, I saw it late at night as well. Uh, did you just watch it last night too? I watched it last night. I watched it today. What did you get? What's the last, what did you get new out of it today? Uh, the scars look like vaginas. <laughs> That's what I took from it. What'd you get out of it last night? The, uh, the... <laughs> <laughs> You're not buying my, my vagina scar theory. Um, last no, night, I mean, again, I, it's I, kind I of last... interesting because they all like kind of silly. And, and there's yeah. like no yeah. women in it. It's like, just like all kind. So all the guys are kind of like slaves to her, right? All those yeah. old men. They're kind of like, like she's a queen and they're... yeah and the only townsperson who was a woman can't speak anymore and is killed and all the old men are like the mean to the new ones because they're like she's the, like the jealous of them maybe it feels like they're a little like oh like oh, here comes the hot young blood you know and they're, they're kind of like mean and you know a little standoffish with them and they don't really take them in till after she you know bites them on the neck and then they're like Oh, come on, you can come into the supermarket now. Now you're part of the club. Yeah, you know what? That's not a bad theory because Duncan got turned and Woody probably would have gotten turned if he had not like called her on, you know, said, I see what you're doing to my friend. I totally called her on the bullshit. <laughs> but he's a guy and he couldn't, couldn't say no. Oh, man. All right. Well, is there anything else about let's scare Jessica to death? You want to get off your chest? Uh, let's think of all the ways they could ruin it in a remake. <laughs> all right. I'm down for this game. If they remade it. How would they fuck it up? <laughs> I think the one that would give a terrible prologue, it would over explain her madness. Jessica's madness. What, 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 what she went through to end up in an insane asylum. It's number one. <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, I think that uh... we would also get flashbacks to, Abigail drowning and the bishop's house. Oh, that's another tie to the haunting. Abigail is uh, Abigail Crane from the haunting as well. Huh. Uh, we would Good get one. flash flashbacks to the wedding day as well. And uh, I think we would have 
too much lesbianism to where it's not subtle and it's not interesting. And it's just, um, it's Hollywood cashing in on queer baiting. There would be way more of, they would have to give Emily some CGI monster face. They wouldn't let her just be regular. You know what I mean? Like just creepy face the way she does. Right. And it wouldn't be practical makeup either. It would be. Yeah. Yeah. She'd be like. (sighs) They would give another one of the Voyage of the Demon. Yeah. And the emerging from the water scene would be way overdone. Uh, Would be Jason. Would be like Jason in Friday the 13th. Yeah. 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 Um, and then it would become sequel heavy and we would get let's scare Jessica to death again. Or I don't feel like Jessica could exist in a movie today because she's so like smiling through the pain kind of like, yeah, I don't think she would either. And I, I think that that's what makes this movie such a time capsule. Those early to mid seventies, the, um, is it the haunting of Julia with Mia Farrow, right? Those kind Mm -hmm. of like pensive, uh, repressed female horror movies that I think this is one of the better ones. A lot of them are not super good. One more thing to point out, the art, uh, antiques dealer is the one who uses the word vampire. And yet Emily does not showcase any of the typical vampire traits that we know you know she's out in the daylight she doesn't um bite. she she kind of cuts someone's neck before and it's not just her neck right Uh, she cuts that guy's forearm she cuts people on the face is this a vampire is it some kind of ghost and and i think that also adds to the unease of the movie is that it's still not entirely clear what she is yeah she's a ghost vampire what's going on underwater <laughs> what's this lesbian no no under the water <laughs> <laughs> under the water yeah it's uh it's a hell of a movie all right uncle spooky listen will you tell my listeners where they can stalk you well thanks for having me this was amazing i love you love you for having me look me up uh instagram and you'll see all my whatever i'm doing i usually tell instagram that i'm about to do it so it's uncle, uncle with a K, because it looks cool and sounds the same. So uncle, lower <laughs> slash spooky. Look up that, and then you know, I'll tell you what I'm doing next. Where you can find me. If you want to come check to him out. Zoom meeting. Check out his show. If you feel if you if you're not sick of Zoom meetings and Tuesday nights, and you want to look at a bunch of you want to watch me watch you watch a movie. <laughs> it's more fun than it sounds. It's a good time. It's, a, it's more fun than it sounds. This man is an excellent entertainer and a lot of fun. And I'm really glad to know you. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you took the time for this. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you asked me, and I'm glad it finally worked out. I hope this is a winner. Me too. I hope this is a rating winner. <laughs> I can't wait to spread it around. I think it will be. All right. Thank you so much, Rick. You're welcome, and we'll see you all later, Spookies. <laughs> Thanks for coming trick-or-treating. You can follow the show on Instagram at Rick or Treat Pod. It'd be a real scream if you'd take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever platform you're listening on. The show's spooky intro and outro music is a cover of Camille Satsanz's Danse Macabre, with orchestrations composed and performed by Lestat von Monlicht. Links to the artist's music can be found in the episode description. Check him out, he's frighteningly talented. Rick or Treat Horrorcast is independently produced by me, Ricky J. Duarte, of Rick or Treat Productions. If you like what you heard, tell a fiend. I mean, friend. If you didn't, well, they're coming to get you, listener. 